Look at all these bodhisattvas appearing out of thin air from around the world. Welcome. Hello everyone. Flint's traveling this week, so my name's Todd. I'll be your fill-in uh, Zen guide for inquiry today. I'll just give it one more moment to see anyone, if anyone else arrives and then we'll begin with our normal sitting practice. All right, let's sit together.
Welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Todd Bankler, if we haven't met. I'm one of the new entrusted teachers at Abamata in Austin. Uh, Flint is traveling this week. I think he's on his way or off to Chicago right now and he'll be traveling I think for the next few weeks. So we'll have some guests here sitting in his chair, facilitating inquiry and practicing with you in this way. Um, it's a privilege for me to be here with you. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to practice with so many of you. It's lovely to see. I was wondering what to bring for you guys this week to offer a little reflection and a little encouragement for your practice. And I was thinking about the way we bring ourselves to practice and what we meet and what practice mind we bring with us. In our Zen tradition, we, all, we often talk about the mind of practice, um, small mind, monkey mind, big mind. So it's an, it's an important part of our exploration and our practice to be awake and aware of what we're bringing. So that's what I thought I'd talk about. Just as a little reflection. <clears throat> But I'm not going to bring my words. I'm going to bring um, the words of 
Zenke Blanche Hartman, Flint's primary teacher. And go from there. So I'm going to read a, a few little excerpts from uh, Seeds for a Boundless Life, which is a composition of Blanche's talks. And in our way of practice at Appamata, following Joko's lineage, in our four practice principles, um, we start right off the bat by saying, life as it is, the only teacher. And Joko talks about using this life as our teacher. So in that spirit, we're gonna begin with Blanche discussing the mind we bring to it, that teacher, our life. If we're open to embracing the surprises as they arise, then there will be inconceivable joy. If we fuss and fume and say, this isn't what I expected, then there will be inconceivable misery just to welcome your life as it arrives moment after moment, to meet it fully as you can, being as open to it as you can, being as ready for whatever arises as, as you can, and meeting it wholeheartedly. This is renunciation. This is leaving behind all of your preferences all of your ideas and notions and schemes, just meeting life as it is. So our practice is to meet this life as it is. And I'll emphasize the three words that she appended to each of these challenges or each of these instructions, as you can, as you can. being as open to it as you can, being as ready for whatever arises as you can. This is renunciation. This is leaving behind all of your preferences, all of your ideas and notions and schemes just meeting life as it is. Suzuki Roshi would say to rest in each moment. We rest in each moment by stopping the battle, by setting down our weapons, our mind weapons in the midst of this life as it is, and just meeting it as you can. Blanche's Dharma name, Zenkai, means inconceivable joy. And in her opening line, she says, if we're open to embracing the surprises as they arise, then there will be inconceivable joy. 
our mind is open, if we're willing, as you can, there will be joy. It reminds me of Joko's definition of joy. Joko defines joy like this. Joy is what's happening right now, minus our opinions about it. Meaning the ground of this moment, the backdrop is joy. It's always there when our opinions don't get in the way, when our judgments and our monkey mind doesn't tell us this can't be it. This is not joy. It's gotta be something else. When that mind doesn't screen us from the joy, it's there. So that leaves a, a big question, a question of how. How do we do that? How do we meet this life as it is, as we can? The basic step that Suzuki Roshi brought to us was to use beginner's mind, to rest in beginner's mind. Reading from Blanche again. Beginner's mind is Zen practice in action. It is the mind that is innocent of preoccupations, preconceptions and expectations, judgments and prejudices. Beginner's mind is just present to explore and observe and see things as they are. I think of beginner's mind as the mind that faces life like a small child fearful of curiosity and wonder and amazement. I wonder what this is. I wonder what this is. I wonder what this means. Without approaching things with a fixed point of view or prior judgment, just asking, what is it? Can we look at our lives this way? Can we look at all of the aspects of our lives with this mind, just open to seeing what there is to see? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time doing that. I have a lot of habits of mind. I think most of us do. As Suzuki Roshi said in the prologue to Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the experts, there are few. As an expert, you've already got it figured out, so you don't need to pay attention to what is happening. Pity. So to relax in each moment, to give up this battle in the middle of the battlefield of our life. You can choose what mind you bring to it. You can practice beginner's mind, an openness, a readiness, flexibility, adaptability, softness, suppleness, willingness, 
This is renunciation. This is leaving behind all of your preferences, all of your ideas and notions and schemes, just meeting life as it is. Sounds pretty good, right? Make it sound so easy. It's just that easy. But then often we're left with the, uh, the realities of the horror show, the beginner's mind of accepting whatever's there, of noticing what's happening. I don't know about you, but what I often notice is the judgments, the unwillingness, how we pick and choose and judge everyone and everything as good, bad, or indifferent. Often that's what we see when we're open and willing. And often we don't want that. Now we've set up another fight. <clears throat> Peg likes to relate the story of, or a metaphor of uh, meeting this mind or meeting what we're doing on the cushion or with our practice, with our life is often like encountering a, a crazy old woman that, that lives next door. Um, you know, one of these people that we find muttering on the street, incessantly talking to themselves, repeating the same old stories, uh, holding on to fixed views about how things really are and who's out to get them, what the problem is. Mm. Our own minds are like that, right? So often we're met with this, this crazy person next door. And in the beginning of our practice, they're right there side by side, right in our face, holding us going, don't do that. You can't do that. They're out to get you. Gotta get away. And after years of practice, of observing this monkey mind, it doesn't go away. But that old crazy person moves one house down. And now they're just like, hey, hey, you can't do that. You got to get out of here. They're all after you. And after a few more years of practice, she's five doors down and across the street. And you can wave. You can kind of hear her. Yeah, no, they're after you. So when we meet this life, when we bring to it our ordinary monkey mind, what we meet most is our reactive patterns, our habitual state of mind, the ways in which we resist, the ways in which we have our opinions made up, the way that we cannot renounce our preferences and opinions. And now, is that the next problem? Is this what we need to get rid of? Reading from Blanche again, in a chapter called Constant Thinking.
the student asks, do Buddhas think? Blanche answers, the short answer is yes, Buddhas do think. However, I have a bumper sticker on my car that says, don't believe everything you think. Because so often we identify, identify with our thoughts and set up a self there. We can become quite emotional about being right and get into heated arguments and conflicts, defending our point of view. A Buddha's intention is to free beings from suffering and distress. So he or she clearly observes which actions of body, speech, and mind lead to peace and happiness, and which lead to misery and teaches others what he or she has discovered. It's up to us then to train ourselves to relinquish thinking that leads to suffering and to cultivate thinking that leads to happiness. Right there, that might be a radical idea to some. We can choose. We can choose what we cultivate. As Flint always says, discipline is remembering what you want. If you're awake and you remember, there's actually a choice there. In the Dhammapada, Shakyamuni teaches, all experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind and happiness follows like a never departing shadow. Quote, he abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. Unquote. For those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. Quote, she abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me, unquote. For those not carrying on like this, hatred ends. So in the moments when you're awake, there's a choice to be made. What mind do you bring to this life as it is, as you can, as we can? If you'd like to meet about it and see which mind is there, the chair is open. Hi, Todd. Good to see Hi, you. Hi, Bridget. Well, when you gave that quote and added, as you can, I felt a really sense of relief because as I'm trying to meet um, life as it is with my mind, 
I sometimes think, oh, I, I'm, I'm not, my mind isn't in the right state or I'm not measuring up to that. And the challenges can be in, in very s simple things, but I'm, I'm curious more about if you can give a ex specific example in your own life where you are able to, to distinguish between that sense of I, I can, so that you're, um, or or help me not judge myself for being feeling that I'm not able or capable of meeting it in that way. It's it's really so so simple. It's laughable, but that's why I'm laughing. It's just like the instruction on the cushion, our basic meditation instruction of being upright, dignified, and aware of what's happening, and labeling the thought, mm -hmm. right? So the turn, the practice turn in that moment is not when you're thinking you can't do it, is to turn and say, having the thought that I cannot do it. Oh, okay. Having the thought that I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. Having the thought that it's too much. Okay. Well, that is, that's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Maria, for saving me from fumbling with the mute button. You're welcome. So, Todd, thank you so much for this simple and yet very profound reading today from, from the sources that you shared and, and for, your, for your presence and sharing it. Um, I, I want to kind of add on to what Bridget was saying before, uh, that you know, there's all these, it's so easy for me to forget and to lose track of that sense of curiosity and wonder that Blanche describes as being important in the moment. And I was just thinking, I was thinking of the quote that you read, I guess from the Dhammapada, where the, where the Buddha is giving examples of reactions you can have that um, lead to suffering and that don't lead to suffering. So if you're not hanging out in your mind saying, he abused me, he robbed me, she abused me, she robbed me, uh, she defeated me, etc. That if you, if you are not doing that, then you're, you're, you're leading, the ox is leading from joy rather than from a place of suffering. And, you know, I, in my own practice, I've spent a lot of time thinking about and recognizing um, and trying to welcome, in a way, the conditioning that I bring from childhood, that I bring from my family relationships, and so on. And it seems like the Buddha is talking about something even beyond that, that it's, that it's not just 
don't get lost in your conditioning, but actually when you meet people, don't get, lo don't get lost in your expectations, even if you know something about those people or you have experience with them in the past. Does that make sense? Is, it, is, the, is the future not written for people that you know? <laughs> is that really true? <laughs> One of the most wondrous practices I remember doing early on when I started this practice was to work really hard to bring don't know mind into my closest relationship you know with my my partner or my parents to be sitting across from them to be starting down the path of the same old conflict or interpersonal dynamic or old argument or story and in my head to, to stop with all my might and go, I don't know what they're going to say next. I don't know what they're going to say next. I really don't, you know, because you want you, you want to go, oh, I know her. She's going to hate this. She's going to say that same thing that she always says about how she doesn't like it, right? It was an amazing practice to, to grasp on to that little root on the shoreline that's keeping you from being swept away of your ideas of what they're going to say next and go, no, I don't know. I don't actually know what they're going to say next. I wonder what's going to happen next. And just inhabiting that don't know mind changes the dynamic. And you may get to the same outcome. You may not. But the person who arrives there will be different. And will have gotten there without unnecessary suffering. Without beating ourselves or the other with what we think we know. As far as I can tell, the future isn't written. <clears throat> It is written. No one's, I've lost my guidebook. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of wondrous and amazing. And uh, when we haven't made our minds up, right, when we're open to that wonder, as Joko would say, the joy is there. I'm, I'm thinking how that applies in a particular relationship that I have with a family member and, and how I've experimented some in the last several months. And I know that what you're saying is true. It really is true. If I can just not be so certain that my opinion is right. But just to, just to hang on, see what's going to happen next out of curiosity and affection. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, Todd, and thank you. Um, see if I can get through this. Uh, so yeah, um, I think that the answer to your question for me, um, what mind do I bring 
to practice and for me it's to life too um is an expectant mind um yeah sorry um and i'm just i'm just kind of getting in touch with um a little like what bridget said of expecting a lot of myself and um and then it it does turn into expecting of others as well although it it kind of creeps in i never think of myself that way but it does creep in a little story i am um, was at a little dinner party saturday and i brought the appetizer and so i got there and there was a, a kitchen helper and i gave her the appetizer and everybody was sitting for at least a half hour nothing was coming out of the kitchen and um so i thought well maybe she's just busy um but no she had put it on the table with the the dinner food so i eventually i went and, and took a look and i was very annoyed you know i mean that was her understanding she you know the the hostess didn't tell her what to do i didn't tell her what was in intended excuse me and um anyway it's kind of silly and not nice you know of me you know she just didn't understand nothing was communicated to her um and maybe it all was also was a little self-centered like i had brought this thing so i wanted it to be there um so little things like that and i'm sure that happens with myself a lot um little criticisms i don't even realize um expectations um yeah so it's interesting that you brought up the toddler today in my sit i was thinking about the wonder of a toddler i had a little brother when i was 13 and i had a lot of responsibility for him i took him to the the sand pit i was thinking of the sand pit because they're they're, they're just toddling around and someone has a ball and someone has something else and the water might be coming you know and so they're just like you know wandering around checking things out and um yeah I'd like to be more like that <laughs> so thank you so much did i don't know if you wanted to respond to at all but i'm wondering what the it seems like this story this reflection is kind of touching something poignant i'm wondering what that is Well, when we were sitting before we started, I said to Flint recently, you know, I come forward so much, almost every time. And I said to him, why do I do that? You know, like, so the people there. Um, and I said, part of it is, um, I'm a little worried for you that nobody's gonna you know, talk to you. <laughs> he said, oh, that's so nice, <laughs> thank you. And so when, when you were sitting there and we were all sitting there, I was thinking, well, there's a whole group here that's holding Todd. It's not just me. So I think the, the expectant part for myself is, um, that, that comes from certainly from history of just being the main one taking care of things. Mm.
So I think um, a lot of that is still working in me. Well, I've got to, I've got to take care of things, make sure that everything's okay. Yeah. So I think that, and that, and then it, of course, it projects onto others as well. That kind of, well, everything needs to be a certain way, and everything needs to be taken care of. It's everything's urgent. It's, it's pure history. So I guess it's a story, but you know, I try to be in the moment as I can. Given uh, that. for me, I always used to tell people that, you know, as soon as you notice something like at the dinner party, irritation, By the time you've noticed it, by definition, it already is. It's too late. It's too late to prevent it. Right? Your job in that moment is to say, hello, irritation. I see you. Hello, annoyance. I see you. Often, that's not where the suffering is. Offering, often the suffering really comes next. I shouldn't be irritated. <laughs> Why am I always irritated? Now we're judging mind. So we go from irritation mind to judging mind, to evaluating mind, to future mind, and back to irritation mind. Whereas all we have to do is say, hello, irritation. I wonder what's going to happen next. Be like the cat watching the mouse hole. Hello, Joy. Don't cue up that second arrow. Don't fire it into the ego must be this way or must not be that way. Ah. Life, life came at me this way, irritation arises. Life comes at me from the other way, joy arises. I wonder what's going to happen next. I, I think I get a little um, confused with our practice in that regard, because, for example, with the precepts, we're really taking a deep dive look at ourselves. And um, so, you know, I'm thinking, oh, that's good that you noticed that. Um, so, yeah, and, and I, you know, I'm not sure how I, how I dealt with it afterwards. I'm, I'm telling the story. So I guess I, you know, it, it stayed with me a little bit. But I guess, yeah, I, uh, it's um, what to do when you notice. I guess maybe that, that would be helpful to me to... Um, be more um, to, I guess, to in a way to celebrate that I noticed something that I that I wouldn't, you know, have done prior to this practice for sure, would not have noticed that, um, and to um, maybe leave it at that. Yeah, that noticing is a big win. It's huge. I always say if there's if there's any magic to this practice, it's that 
it creates out of thin air something that wasn't there before a choice because when you come aware all of a sudden you have the opportunity to choose what you do next instead of just habitually responding so yeah we pause we notice what's coming up if we're aware enough we create the opportunity to choose what's next and then i would suggest remembering your aspiration or your intention in our mahayana practice the bodhisattva's vow right to turn each moment each interaction a little bit towards freedom and awakening that's what i keep in mind what would freedom for myself and others what would awakening for myself and others look like in this moment what next action would make that turn Thank you. Hello, Todd. Hello. I wonder what's going to happen next. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, this, um, as you can, that you've emphasized as you can, as you can, or as much as you can. Um, I, I, I wonder, and I wonder this from my experience, um, there's a little, there's a little practice edge there, um, like a little and yet, but sometimes I know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of call it like a, like a weaponized ignorance or a, a weaponized, um, uh, inability where like I can I can kind of craftily turn my not knowing how to do something or turn my um, feeling like I don't have the ability to do something to offer a response can kind of turn that sometimes into like a a, a like so therefore that's the truth and now I can put that responsibility off on onto someone else mm -hmm. I sort of indulge in the like well I can't do that like now is one of those not as I can moments and and sort of stops there and I wonder if um you get a sense of the edge I'm talking about I'm wondering if like maybe you could speak to how um how the don't know mind maybe permeates into that like 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 maybe there's um Maybe, maybe, maybe as I, so that as I can doesn't become the end of the story of practice. Hmm. What I, what I think I hear you saying is that in your particular case or flavor of being that don't know mind can get co-opted by a habitual tendency to hold back 
are not engaged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like the little don't know mind might say, since I don't know, hold back. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe the big, big don't know, deep don't know, somehow lets, lets me f like freely move right through that, even without the readiness mm -hmm. or, or the knowing. Somehow there's practice right through the middle of that. Right there. I was about to say that word. You just said it right through the middle. Yeah. Right. So on one side, knowing ditch, I know I've got it. Listen to me on the other side. How could I possibly know what's going to happen next? I have limited views. Even if I speak, odds are it could be wrong. Right. This, I think it was Koto Sawaki Roshi or maybe it was Uchiyama Roshi famously said, you have to say something, right? <clears throat> Running someone over is not the way. Running away from them is not the way. Where's the middle? The fact that, that you know, you, you have this awareness of your own tendency right, is a great win. And now you can, you can ask yourself, I wonder which mind is saying I don't know. If nothing else, you always come back to labeling the thought, right? Having the thought that I shouldn't say anything. It becomes really magical and transformational when we say it out loud in front of someone else. Oh, I heard you, but all that's happening in me is I'm feeling like I, I don't know anything and I can't say anything and I don't know how to help you. I've experienced that. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Thank you. Hi, and thank you, Chris, because I was having the thought I shouldn't come forward and speak. <laughs> I should just stay in the background and just, you know, be safe, you know, and not have, have to cope afterwards to have thoughts of, um, oh, my goodness, what have I said? And was it OK? And oh, is it is it all right? And it, it's just um, I've been thinking a lot this week about the channels, you know, the different channels that that we have that you know, the awareness channel is always available to us if we just turn the dial slightly, but how aware in that awareness channel of all the other channels that go on, you know, the channel that visits my mother, you know, that's all ready for her, you know, oh my goodness, what's she going to say, brace yourself, get ready, you know, it's, it's it, all the different channels that are, that are constantly going on and that aren't going to go away. But with awareness, when we turn the dial onto that awareness, you know, we can be with them. And and like you were saying before, I mean, I worked with a koan for a long time, don't be predictable. And it's that when my mother says something or somebody says something, or it's like resting in that place of, of you know, and giving yourself that option 
to do something different dropping the what you feel you know about it but it's like now i'm aware of all the channels in the background that create anxiety for me that create fear for me that could stop me doing things if i didn't have the practice you know if i didn't sit with them and get to know their nature and what they're up to and what the the and where they're from and you know the origins of them it's like this practice is so rich in that it allows us to um, really get to know all those different channels but when you're more tired hang on I'll just let somebody in hang on <laughs> ah, sorry when when you're more tired it, it's kind of that dial gets more slippery mm -hmm. you know well when I get tired my dial gets more slippery and I go through the channels more you know and then I have to kind of consciously bring myself back you know but it's finding that way isn't it of anchoring yourself back how do you know you're back it's getting familiar with that place when you're not in the channels, the other radio channels, if you like, of our minds, but you're here, you know, and it's that kind of, but it slips, it, it always slips and it always, and I find myself caught up again, you know, and then having to come back again. And we can get so tired of that, you know, I can get so, oh my goodness me, I'm, I'm in another channel again, I'm there again, and, and they're, they're on repeat, you know, they have their own dialogues on, on repeat if you like but how wonderful is this practice that we can learn ways to kind of turn that dial and just be here even if it's for moments you know and uh, but like i think was it flint said or somebody said recently this is as good as it well this is we're at our peak this is as good as we're gonna get and it really helped me that really helped me because it, it was um because it, it's kind of, yes, those, it's not about getting rid of all the channels and bashing them to the ground. You know, it, it's kind of, it's just about, you know, being able to turn the dial so that they're not as loud and we're aware of them and they don't take over our life. You know, they're not in the, like in the driver's seat, they're not driving the buses, as they would say. And I think that's what your talk's bringing up for me. It's just all this kind of, this awareness of all these channels and and just how how we can just lose heart you know we really can but just knowing that we can come back and that awareness channel is always available it's always there you know if we just you know turn it a little bit but then it slips again and comes yep. comes back again constantly coming back hmm yeah lifelong practice right <laughs> You can only come back without the judgment, without the, oh my gosh, I was in that channel again. I'm no good at this. I shouldn't, I should be able to resist it. Mm -hmm. We can come back without that extra part. Then it's just a constant coming and going and flowing without the second arrow of judgment. Sometimes we're here. Sometimes we're not. When we notice we're not, we're back. And they're all kind of like Flint was saying, they're all parts of the garden, you know, they're all treating them as all parts of the garden with compassion, you know, and in that place of awareness, having compassion for all of them. And in time, they lose that. The magnets, the magnets, isn't it? It's like a magnet pulling us away, you know, and then it's kind of coming back. But in time, that magnet gets, loses some of its strength. But then in times of difficulty, the magnet strength is back, you know, and it's kind of real. And that's when we really need to sort of practice, you know, really keep an eye on that awareness channel, if you like. Yeah. Joko would say, we get good at what we practice. Mm. What are you yeah. practicing? What mind are you practicing? 
judging mind, allowing mind, punitive mind. Mm. Well, it looks like we're out of time for today. I want to thank everyone for, for joining us. And um, gosh, it's been six months or a year since I've been here. We usually end with a chant, right? Caught in the self-centered dream? That's right, yes. All right. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you, everyone. Be kind with your mind for the rest of the day. Enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Todd. And thank you, everybody, for being here today. I'm a bit flustered now. <laughs> if you'd like to um, make a contribution to Appamada, then please do go to the website at appamada.org and there you'll, you'll find an opportunity to make a contribution off Adana to teachers such as Todd and the other entrusted teachers such as Joel, who's here this evening, and Laurie, and, uh, and also Flint and Peg, and for other activities as well. And you can make a one-time contribution or you can set up to um, offer regular Dana. Thank you so much, everybody. And if you'd like to continue to meet and share, please do join myself and others on the virtual porch. Just stay right where you are and go into gallery view and uh, I'll meet you all there in a moment. Thank you all so much.